0: good morning how are you Uh, if you would uh, this is your first time with us my name is andrew i'm the preaching pastor for anchor church welcome Um, if you would uh, affirm along with me as we read together uh, this affirmation of our faith we believe in god the father the almighty the creator of heaven and earth we believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of a virgin who suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus' church, the community of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the eternal life. Amen. Please join me in prayer. King Jesus, as we come before You today, may we behold Your beauty and Your glory. May we come to see and know the truth that God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. Lord Jesus, I pray that the truth of Your Scriptures it would be like logs on the fire of our hearts, that we would grow in a passionate worship for You, that we would grow in a love for You and a love for others as we open Your Word and learn more and see more of who You are. Help us, Holy Spirit. Guide us and lead us in that. As we come together today, we pray for Your world. We pray for the brothers and sisters around the world today. Uh, We pray for everyone uh, either getting up into the pulpit, uh, preaching or sharing the Gospel and the good news, gathering for fellowship, those gathering in closed countries where the Gospel of Jesus Christ is illegal. We pray for those who are laying their life down for the faith today who are laying down their lives faithful and holding fast to the love and the eternal life they have with you, Jesus. Please, Holy Spirit, empower the brothers and sisters around the world as we gather. We pray for our own country. We, we pray for the churches and for our own continent, uh, for, for the people getting up into the pulpit to preach the good news today, Lord. Uh, we, we pray that they would know the truth. That, that you have a church, a people across denominational and local lines that belongs to you, Jesus. And that is your body, and you are using that body for the great commission to the ends of the earth. And so I pray you would use us to that end. You would use the, our, our network three-strand to that end. Uh, I pray you would bless us and help us to be clear on who you are, Jesus. Pray for me now as I open your word with this serious and joyful task. God, whatever is just of me would be long forgotten and quickly. But what is of you? What is of your truth? That God is light. That would make our hearts sing. That we would feel more free, more forgiven, because we are more free and more forgiven than we can imagine. That we'd know that that your judgment no longer hangs over our head, but that Jesus Christ died in our place to make us right with you because we've made ourselves wrong with you, but that Jesus, you came to make us right with you. You came and you paid the price. You crossed the gap we could not. You've defeated Satan and sin and death, and we are your church and you are ambassadors. And so we pray for this city that you would release us from here and we would carry this message to the, to the city and to this region for your glory and that you would save people, Lord. I pray for anyone here who has not heard the good news, that you would light it up in their hearts, that they would see you, Jesus, for who you are, that you saved sinners like us from death to life. You're faithful to forgive, you're faithful to restore, and you're faithful to love us before we love you. And so, Jesus, I pray for us that the gospel would be just just the background music, and maybe not even the background music, but the, the thing that is happening in all of our activities as your people, wherever we go and whatever we do, and that, Jesus, we would glorify your holy name with this time and with our lives. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, if you'd go with me, we are in 1 John. We'll be in 1 John for the next few weeks, next couple of months. Uh, we are in 1 John chapter 1, starting verse 5. If you do not have a Bible, we have some on our table over there. Feel free to grab one. Um, we are about to dive. And I have a, wooden, I have a metal instrument stand today. Which, compared to doing preaching at the Boys and Girls Club, is nothing. Uh, But I'm used to a big, nice, wooden thing I can hit. Um, Hit, pound. How about that? Um, So we are running into a text today uh, that that really pushes against what I would call postmodern sensibility. And maybe even our postmodern sensibility—we're we're going right into a text that kind of pushes against the oxygen that we we breathe as the people of Seattle. Because today we're going to look at the reality that God is light. John is tricky. Three hundred and three words in Greek. Different words featured here. Uh, It's a text that that is both extremely complicated in the truth that it conveys and the text that's used if you take a basic Greek class. Uh, He's going to say things in a simple way that are almost so simple sometimes you have to say, so God is light. So what does that mean, John? Where are you getting at? Where are we going with this? He's clear and he's straightforward. And yet there's a depth and a richness to the things that he says and are contained even just in these few verses that help us to see who Jesus is and to appreciate him more and more as we dig in. So, so today, the main thing that he's going to tell us, as we talked about last week, that, that John is conveying the apostolic witness, the, the testimony of people who saw and touched and knew Jesus personally, John being one of them. And he's giving us the truth contained within that. OK, and today he's going to tell us that God is light. God is light. Now, this motif that we're going to see between light and dark uh, is not isolated to the Bible. Uh, The Bible is not the only place, the Bible is not the only place that we're going to see this light and dark uh, interplay, but it's a massive theme in the Bible, even starting in Genesis, uh, that God creates light, and light shines in the darkness, right? And we saw it in John chapter 1, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, And here we're going to hear um, this, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Double negatives. We don't use those in English, they use them in Greek, and they're trying to capture that sense no darkness, no darkness, no darkness. Now, this is so important for us because we are Christians. We are people who have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness or the dominion of darkness into the light. We have been, have been, people have gone from sin and evil and wrong and been forgiven by Jesus, not because of anything we have done, but everything Jesus Christ has done to save us and to redeem us and to make us his own. He died on the cross, the death we deserve for all of our dark acts, all of our things we have done against God. He dies on the cross to forgive us for our sins, to make us whole. He takes everything you and I deserve for our offenses to God, and He drinks the cup of wrath you and I deserve, and you didn't do anything to earn it. It is all a gift of grace from Jesus, and in so doing, He delivered us from darkness and into light. So much so that we can be called children of light. Amazing. Amazing. This is what we live for. This is the gospel. Nothing you do can earn that. Jesus Christ earned it all. This is grace. Now, this is so important for us in 2015 because we live in a confusing, muddled time. Right? I remember as a kid... When I watch the John Wayne movies, that you, you can say what you want about John Wayne movies. Uh, but here's the thing about most John Wayne movies. John Wayne always wears an off-colored white hat, and the bad guys wear black hats. And so from the intro of the movie, you know who's the good guys and who are the bad guys. Right? Sergio Leone comes along, good, the bad, and the ugly, a few dollars more. Who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? Nobody knows anymore, right? But I think this kind of storytelling has even uh, taken hold in our, our general cynicism and even our general skepticism of good and bad. But here's the deal with Christianity. There is no gray area in Christianity. There is no gray area with God. There is light and there is dark. There is good and there is bad. Now, there are times as the people of God, we have to be discerning. We have to approach a subject. You have to say, well, what does God think about this thing? And some things are very cut and dry, and other things are less cut and dry. But to God, they're not cut and dry. God's never thinking, well, yeah, maybe that's okay. We're actually trying to discern his will and figure out what is and isn't okay, because God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. When I was a kid, when I was a little kid, no one ever wanted to be Darth Vader, ever. Darth Vader was what your little brother had to be. Until your mom said, don't do that, that's not kind. And you're "You're right, that's not kind. We live in a time and a place where I see more kids wanting to be Darth Vader, intergalactic fascist, who blows up planets full of people, and I could go on and on, and then I would spoil Star Wars, which you may not have seen yet. But there's no question in the movie... Darth Vader is the bad guy. You're supposed to think that's the bad guy. And as a kid, then you argue, do I get to be Han Solo? Do I get to be Luke Skywalker, right? That's the argument that me and my cousin had back and forth. Who gets to be who? Who gets to fly the Millennium Falcon? Who gets to pilot the X-Wing? And because there was only one Jedi when I was a kid. You don't want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi so you want to be Luke Skywalker, because there's only one. Then they come out with more movies, and there's more Jedis, and everyone gets a lightsaber. But when I was a kid, only Luke Skywalker got one, so that's who we fought for. But it's clear, right? Darth Vader wears black. Obi-Wan Kenobi wears white. He is the bad guy. He is the good guy. And as kids, you don't want to be the bad guy. And yet we live in a time and a place where I'm not so sure anymore. We live in a cultural context where all of a sudden kids are running around pretending to be intergalactic fascists, and I wonder if that's not a problem. Because here's what the Bible says. This is the message we have heard from him. The him here is Jesus Christ. John is saying, this is what I heard from him. This is what he told me, right? Which is so important. Again, discipleship is so important. Discipleship is where we, as a church, help each other follow Jesus and love Jesus more. John, well, John got to be discipled by Jesus. So that's awesome. But never forget that he's doing something here with these people. What I heard from them, I'm giving to you. And as we saw last week, so that you might have fellowship with me and our fellowships with the Father. So yes, John is uniquely blessed in history that he get to walk and talk with Jesus. But the reality is that he doesn't see you or I being less involved with God or with his gospel because of that gospel. And though you and I don't get to walk and talk with Jesus in the way he did now, you and I will get to walk and talk with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth when that is coming. And we eagerly look forward to that. That is what we get to be involved in. And though we don't get to have what John had, and he was very blessed to have it, let's not forget that, and uniquely positioned to tell us the truth of the gospel. He thinks you and I get to have what he has, and that's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing right here. He's doing disciples. He's transferring the message to them. And so then we take the message and give it to somebody else, and we take the message and give it to somebody else. That's what you're doing when you're doing evangelism. That's what you're doing when you're sharing the gospel at work or at the playground or at your kid's school. You're inviting people into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which has cosmic implications, which is huge. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. All light, no dark. All good, no evil. All right, no wrong. No gray area. God's not working on anything. I don't know about you. I'm working on things in my life. I'm, I'm working on growing in patience or kindness or love for others or my knowledge of the scripture. I'm working on a number of things in my life. I'm getting after them empowered by Jesus and his Holy Spirit. God's not working on anything. The theological idea here is that God is simple, he doesn't change. The book of Revelation says of Jesus, the same yesterday, pardon me, Hebrews, same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. God doesn't change. The Spirit doesn't change. The Trinity doesn't change. God doesn't change. All light, no dark. He's not working on anything. This idea of light captures his glory. I think Eric read, you know, or no, it was one of the songs that you know, when the thing, it's not in your outline, but you hear it. The, one of the songs capture this idea that's reminiscent of the Isaiah, the, the seraphim and angel who cover their eyes as they're beholding the glory of God, as the train of his robe fills the temple in glory. Uh, that, even, that even these angelic beings are like, that is, that is awesome and that's too much for us to even look at. God is all light and no dark and all good and no wrong. You hear what, what John says. If we say, okay, we're going to run into a string of conditional sentences here. If this, then that. If this, then that. If this, then that. Okay? And what John's trying to say is if this, then that. Right? If you're doing this, you're not doing this, or you are doing this. Okay? They're, they're not quite hypotheticals. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, there's the if this, then that. We lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say we're walking in the light and following God and doing things that are contrary to His Scriptures, contrary to His character, uh, we are not. We are not. If we say we have fellowship with Him, that's God, while we walk in darkness. Now, here, this, this doesn't mean that you've got a sin you're battling, right? You have these sins, you repent, you confess, you repent, you turn, and then there it is again. You confess, you repent, you turn, and there it is again. You fast, you repent, you turn, and there it is again. And you're mortifying your sin, and you're warring against your sin, and you're recognizing it as sin, and you're turning from your sin, and you're turning from Jesus, empowered by His Spirit and by His grace, that you would respond to the truth of His gospel. You're walking in forgiveness, and you're fighting the sin. You're being sanctified. That's not what this is talking about. That's the Christian life. That's sanctification. That is our life, responding to the grace we've received. What he's talking about here is doing things that are contrary to God, and saying, well, I don't care what the Bible says about it. I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. That's what he's talking about here. Now, it's not up, up to me or to our church to say someone is or isn't a Christian, but there hits a point where I say I would have trouble affirming that that person is a Christian. Well, why? They're doing things that the Bible says not to do, and they say that it doesn't matter. That's why. Well, friends, that's a problem. Now, I'm not the judge. God is. It's not my job to say whether you're a Christian or not, but it is my job to say I can't affirm you right now as a Christian because you're doing things that are utterly and completely in the dark and darkness and opposed to God. That's for you to talk to Jesus about, to be totally, just totally frank. If we say we have fellowship with Him, if you're saying you're a Christian, if you're saying you have fellowship with Jesus Christ while we walk in darkness, while we're walking in habitual, unrepentant sin and saying, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what it says of us. We lie. And we do not practice the truth. But, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then all of a sudden I have this life that's supposed to emulate who God is and what He's done. Uh, One of those great, easy-to-remember verses because of the address, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, like a mic check. 1 Corinthians 1 through 11. Paul doesn't say, be just like me. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't, you don't need to be a tent maker. Uh, you, you don't need to be, apparently he was reportedly short. Okay, you don't need to be short. Fine. You need to be godly. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That's all Paul's doing, right? If you walk in the light as He is in the light. So that means that you're to walk in the light. And Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which presumably means, or would at least include, walking in the light as He is in the light. We walk in our lives. We have our character, our understanding of right and wrong and good and evil formed by who God is. Now here's our problem with that. We love to compare ourselves to other people. Right? So we love to say, well... I may have stolen my neighbor's newspaper, but that other guy stole his TV, right? That guy stole his TV and therefore I'm all right cuz I only took his newspaper. That's like a, you know, I'm sure it's like 5 bucks for a Sunday newspaper these days. It's 2 bucks, but hey, that's a lot. Okay. Or we think we're better than other people. We see them and the wrong things they do and say, "Well, I'm not I'm better than they are." Well, you know, for his birthday, he had a birthday cake, and for my birthday, I had sugar-free something or other, rather another dot, dot, dot. Well, he likes to eat at McDonald's. I like to eat at Red Mill. Well, I know I shouldn't eat as many uh, uh, brownies as I should, but that guy ate 10. I only ate two. Right? We, we make a comparison. And all of a sudden, it's okay. You can eat brownies, by the way. I'm just trying to use a random thing so there's not a spotlight on somebody in the room. You feel like, how did you know what I did last night? So brownies, and if that's you and this is the brownie situation, you can talk to God about that, not me. Uh, So if you say, well, I know I shouldn't eat three brownies, but that guy ate five brownies. Uh, I should really have one brownie. It's not a story problem either, I promise. I should really only have one brownie but I am going to have three. As long as that guy has five, I'm okay. Well, I know I shouldn't cheat on my taxes, but well, I know I shouldn't let this little thing go on my taxes, but I know a guy who really, really rips off the government way more than I ever would. So all of a sudden, it's not based on whether or not it's right or wrong to steal, it's based on if, you're, if it's right or wrong to steal more or less than that guy. All of a sudden, the standard is not God. The standard is somebody who's worse than you. And you get to sit as the judge who picks who's worse than you. In God, it's all light and no dark. And we're seeking to walk in the light. We're not seeking to answer the question, how far can I go before it's sin? We're saying, what does it look like to live and walk in the light like God? Those are different questions. One is how much can I get away with and one is how do I honor the Lord. They're different things. Keep going. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, listen to this, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If this, then that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. There are times, I think, and I've seen this happen in the church, where we feel like the point of community is to confess sin to each other. And then we know we're really close and intimate, particularly people who like picking on other people's sin and stuff. And so you get together for a community group and it's all about, I'm confessing sin because if I, if I confess sin, then we'll have fellowship with each other because I'm letting you know the deep down dirty stuff of my life and you're, we're having this sort of intimate experience and you really know me. Yeah, absolutely, confess sin to one another. God has built the church for that, to be a place that's a safe place where you say, this is where I've fallen, this is where I need help, please help me. But it's not the sin-confessing that gives us fellowship as the church. It's walking in the light. It's trying to be like God. And so my aim isn't to cough up as much sin in community group as I possibly can. My aim is to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can, to walk in the light as much as I can, which will result in confessing my sin, which will result in me saying, God is holy and I am not, and I need Jesus in my life to redeem me all the time. I need his empowering grace to empower me to love him and serve him and worship him and know him more and more every day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Fallen human being who needs the gospel all day long. But I know that because I'm walking light, because he is in light, and I know who he is and what he's done in my life. So my confession's not a response to me trying to create intimacy in Christian community because I've got these accountability partners, and this is how we become deeper friends, as I tell them all my junk. I confess my sin to my accountability partners because I see Jesus for who he is and the darkness that he died on the cross to redeem me from, more and more every day. Does that make sense? It's not the opposite. We often think it's the opposite. But if we walk in the light as He is in light, we have fellowship with one another. As we grow in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, our bond together grows. Yes, confess sin to one another, but His main thing here is growing in Christ-like character. Not only this, in the blood of Jesus, His Son cleanses us from all sin. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is not that Jesus paid the price for all of your sin up to the point in time in which you met Him and then the keys to the sin dealing with automobile belong to you. It is not that Jesus paid the price for everything and then you met Him and now it's on your shoulders. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ, who drank the cup of wrath so you don't have to, who died on the cross so that you might live, who who, who loved you first before you loved Him, that God has known you and who you are and all the sins that you would confe- commit against him. He paid the price for all. He bought it all. He purchased it all. Now Paul's going to be very helpful here. Do I have to stop? Don't text anybody. Don't get the party going. It's not then that now we get to while out and do whatever we want to do. In fact, if you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see that He's covered all of your sin and cleansed you from all iniquity, and then you say, cool, so now I'm going to go out and sin because Jesus took care of it all. You missed the whole point. You missed that you've been freed from your sin. You missed that you've been forgiven for your sin. You missed that you've been redeemed and reckoned and made alive together with God. So now live. Walk in the light. Live. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, that's scary. I'm cool. I'm good. Uh, I used to have sin, and now I don't anymore. I don't sin anymore. Um, This is what's called perfectionism. Uh, It was, interestingly enough, kind of popularized by John Wesley, and yet when John Wesley gets to the end of his life, he says, ooh, i got a lot of work to do still. And kind of, maybe we'll use the word backpedal a little bit, softens his stance on perfectionism as he nears the end of his life. He's going to say, John Wesley will say, yeah, you can be, have a live an empowered life by the Holy Spirit so that you do not sin. But that's going to lead to an idea that you are sanctified in this life. Uh, the problem is, as I live my life on the cusp of another birthday, I can look and see all the wonderful things Jesus Christ has done year by year to change me and to redeem me and to put sin to death in my life. And yet the older I get, the more I realize, wow, I didn't realize that was me being selfish and self-centered there. Well, I've been doing that the whole time I was a Christian <laughs> and I didn't see it and now I do and now I'm going to repent and I'm going to confess and I'm going to change by the grace of God and empowered by him. He's working on us. He's changing us. He's making us new. But what he's saying, if you say you're perfect, now again, we've got to remember he's dealing with a couple of controversies. The Gnostics, or maybe sort of guys who had been, kind of, if we're going to be very technical, and I will. They're actually proto-Gnostics. Gnostics Gnostics don't quite exist yet at the time of the writing of 1 John, but they're what we would call proto-Gnostics. So they're Middle Platonic thinkers who think that the body is bad and the spirit is good. And he's going to address that quite heavily in chapter 4, and we'll get there and we'll take it apart. But they really think, if I can be spiritual enough, I can stop doing the wrong things. Now... Jesus again empowers us to stop doing the wrong things by his grace and mercy. Absolutely. But it's likely that these Gnostics are saying, no, we don't sin anymore. We're done with the sin thing. I'm over it. But here's what he says Um, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What's the problem when we say we have no sin? We say, I need no cross if I have no sin. I don't need Jesus to cleanse me from my unrighteousness because I'm fine on my own. Thank you, Jesus. Didn't really need the cross anyways. That's what, what he's functionally saying here. So what he says here is, we deceive ourselves. Now this word, deceive, particularly as it's used in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament, means to lead oneself astray into error. To be led away into theological error, to to say, well, yeah, I think my neighbor would like that better. That sounds good. Not testing it by the scripture, uh, not testing it by what God says, but just saying, well, yeah, nobody really wants to be told they're a sinner, right? Can we get around that whole sinner cross thing? If we want something other than the cross, let's do that. No we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is a drastic, drastic charge. But wait, John's so kind. John is so kind. He's going to go back and forth. And we're even going to land on chapter 2, verse 1, and, and we'll get there. But so it goes from that, which is one of the harshest things he says, to this. If we confess our sins, I am a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. We say things like, hey, that thing I did to you was totally whack. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. This is what the Bible says. This is what I'm doing. They're different. Please forgive me. We confess to God. We confess to each other. Some people even think this means corporate confession together, saying, yes, we are sinners in need of Jesus. If we say we... Uh, Pardon me. Nine. If we... Wait. Wait. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to the sinner. He's righteous to forgive. I recently heard someone's objection to Christianity. And this is what I've heard. This is particular objection. Muslims have this particular objection to Christianity. So you mean you can do all of this wrong stuff, you can do horrible stuff, and all you have to do is say you're sorry and you're forgiven? You mean you can do horrible, horrible, horrible things? You could be Darth Vader, right? Intergalactic fascist. Highly hypothetical situation now in my mind as I say it out loud. But if... In that, we say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, I need you, you're God, I'm not. Wait a minute. You're just forgiven? You just go on with the rest of your life? And you, yes, there's a man who dies on the cross next to Jesus. What does he say? What does he say? Remember me in paradise. Remember me when you inherit your kingdom. He says, pardon me, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. He doesn't get to get down from the cross and make amends to anyone. He doesn't get to say sorry to his mama. He doesn't get to go and pay back the guy he stole from. He doesn't get to apologize to anybody. He just gets to die. This messes with our sense of justice. Romans 3 tells us that God is both just and the justifier. What does that mean? That as the righteous judge who sits over your sin, who is all light and no dark, he is good and right to forgive you because someone has paid the price for all of your iniquities. His name is Jesus Christ. And If, you have not paid the pri- or if he has not paid the price for your sins, you're going to have to. He's just and the justifier. He's both faithful to the sinner, who he loves first, as we're going to see in chapter 4, But he's also righteous to forgive. He's not getting bribed and letting you out of a ticket. right? He's not being convinced. You're guilty and he knows it. And he's taking all of your guilt and putting it on his son so that you can live. This is the gospel. And you can't do anything to earn that forgiveness. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, become a Christian today. Every other world faith will have you justifying yourself, you meditating your way on up into nirvana. Now, technically, it's not up into nirvana, but we don't have time for a lecture on that, right? But you cannot do the work to, to, to even out the work on your scales to karma yourself out. God had to cross the gap to get to you because He's all light and no dark. And apart from Him, I am very dark. But in Him, I am a child of the light. And He earned it, not me. Praise be to Jesus. If We confess our sins. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. Save me. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, these words are as simple as they are in the Greek as they are in the English. He is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Last night may have been the worst night of your life, and at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, you are cleansed and you are deemed and you are made whole. I don't care what you have, He's bigger than it. You cannot outsin the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot outrun the freedom and the forgiveness that He brings. In him. In Jesus. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's something amazing about this. You know, as a church, we, we value confession and repentance. We value saying, hey, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. That was wrong. Now, As a Christian, I I could sin against you and I could ask for your forgiveness and you could, from the bottom of your heart, respond to the forgiveness you've been extended by Jesus Christ and forgive me likewise. It's just Ephesians, right? We forgive as we've been forgiven. Your forgiveness cleanses me from nothing. Your forgiveness might make us relationally right, but only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and makes us right. God doesn't just forgive. He cleanses and washes clean. If we say we have not sinned, so if I say that I've never sinned in my life, what's well, getting out of there? We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. No, I've never done anything so wrong that I deserve a cross. I, I, you know, I'm a good person. God likes me. My mom said I'm nice. She always said I was nice. Such a nice boy. Yeah, Perhaps. Ever stolen, lied, done right things for wrong reasons? Ever done something good, not for the people you're doing good to, but so that other people will exalt you and think you're awesome? Have you ever made something other than Jesus Christ the center of your life? Have you ever done that? That's displacing God from His right place in the center of the universe. And the thing that is most important you bow down to and live for is something other than Jesus Christ? That's called idolatry. That's what it is. It's an offense against God. It's a front against God. If we say we've never done that, the cross is no good for us. Because if we don't know we need the cross, we don't know we need the cross. And if we say we don't need the cross, we don't need Jesus, then we don't get the cross and we don't get Jesus. And then we have to deal with it with God. If we have not, say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. God is a liar to tell us we need forgiveness of sins. If we say that. I'm just a good person and I'm okay how I am. Then you're saying to God, This doesn't count because this is the story of redemption. This is the history of redemption as God saves people for his glory and for our joy. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, the thing you have to remember. Now, we're going to dig into chapter 2, verse 1 next week. Okay. But here's the thing you have to remember. If we were this church in Asia Minor who receives this letter from John, uh, I don't have time to do the whole letter in one sermon, right? Because it probably would take me as much time as I have for a sermon to read the whole letter to you out loud, and there'd be no room to point out, hey, look what he's doing here, and this is what it means, and this is what it says, and this is awesome, look how cool Jesus is, this is great. So I go through it a few verses at a time. But if we're reading, we just heard all that. So you hear all that stuff and you're thinking about your own life. And as I was working on it this week, I was thinking about my own life. Where are the gray areas in my life? Uh, are there places uh, where the dark is more appealing to me than the light? Where am I at with God on these things? If you want to preach, these are the things you have to do. This is not a science experiment. This is not a lab frog. This is the Word of God. And if you want to preach the Gospel, it needs to hit you first. This needs to be real to you, or it won't be real to anybody else. But hear this. This is what he says. So when you hear all this stuff dark, light, where am I at? And hear what John says in verse 2, or cha- verse 1, chapter 2. My little children. My little children. Now you got to remember John's old. This is probably written 90, 95 AD. John's a very old man, and he's probably writing to people who are all younger than he is. And he says to them, my little children. He's loving them enough to deliver the, the bad news. It, with good news, mind you. That wasn't all bad news, by the way. But he says this, my little children, family, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Sin is death. There's rebellion against God. Sin is a horrible way to live. And he loves them and doesn't want them to live that way. He wants to live, have them live in the light with God. But listen to this. My little children, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this whole section next week, but just, just taste it. Taste it? You know what I mean. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, church, church folk, Christians, when you sin, you need to know this. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is a the par excellence. The righteous. The righteous one. The one who is more righteous than all ever. The righteous one. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who goes to the Father with His righteousness on our behalf and says, Andrew Pack, yeah, I'm working on him. And I paid the price for his sin on the cross. So that thing that just happened there is on the cross. That thing that happened yesterday, on the cross. Day before that, on the cross. Jesus, our advocate, is at the throne room of God saying, I paid for that for Him. Anchor Church, I'm working on them. I paid for them. They belong to me. I drank the cup of wrath so they don't have to. I paid the price for their sins so they don't have to. I saved them. I redeemed them. They are mine. I love them. I loved them before they loved me. I'm working on them. And they're forgiven, loved, people with life. And that's true of you today. That's true of him Now. When you become a Christian, you have an advocate with God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Forgiven people. Blood-bought, forgiven, loved by God, people of God. The gospel isn't just that your sins are forgiven, but that you're given life. And John's going to say this a ton of times. Life eternal, which isn't just duration, It's now. Your life with Jesus is now. Your forgiven life with an advocate, with the Father, is now. By His power, by His grace, by His mercy. Apart from Jesus, our darkness remains. That's reality. Jesus is God who is holy. We need to be cleansed. He's the righteous one. He's the clean one. And yet he cleanses us and invites us into that righteousness. This is the gospel. He makes us right and clean with God, period. You can even say, I know that he has forgiven me, but I just cannot forgive myself. You're not God and you won't get to say that. If you're a Christian, you're loved and forgiven and redeemed by him. He's the one that pronounces you forgiven. And he's the one that cleanses you. Not you getting your life together. Get your life together. Walk in the light. Don't get me wrong. But it's not getting your life together that makes you clean. It's being cleansed by Jesus Christ that empowers us to get our life together. Get the order straight. It's His sovereign grace in our lives. His intervention in our lives. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, sent His only Son to save us from ourselves. When we don't believe this, when we either don't think God is that holy or that we are that bad, we don't think we need the cross. We either think we don't need God to come down and get to us, that's me saying I don't think I'm that bad, or, or we don't think that we need Jesus to get up to God, saying God's not that good, he's down here. I can, I can make God happy by making my neighbor some brownies and being nice to people. I'm going to pay my good karma points and God will like me. I'm likable, really, I promise. Now here's the thing. Jesus is the one who cleanses us from all sins. Jesus is the one that makes us right with God. Jesus is the one that moves in our lives. And this should stir us as his people for the worship of him. When we get up to take communion in a minute, we do so as a proclamation and acknowledgement. I am a sinner who needed the grace and need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and have been saved from myself and from my sin and from my love of death and all my wrongdoing. And every time I've tried to displace God from His right place and center of the universe, Jesus came and died on the cross to save me for His glory and my joy. We proclaim that when we do that. So what do we do? If you don't know Him, today is the day. You can't earn it? Turn to him. Call out to him. If you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, there's some gray areas. There's some darkness i got to deal with. Confess your sin and walk in the light. Well, I can't do it on my own. There's a church full of people here who want to give of ourselves to help you follow Jesus. We're not mind readers, though. Right? If your community group doesn't know, if your friends don't know, if the pastors don't know, we can't read your mind and say, so, tell me, have you been walking in the dark lately? It's not really how it works. We confess, we repent, we turn. And as the people of God, let's walk in the light. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done. Let's live in the grace He's given us. Let's make our aim and whole life uh, passionate expression of who he is what he's done and make our aim and our walk getting after knowing him more and more loving him and loving others more and more let's pray lord jesus we do thank you for today my life was so dark and i was so blind You saved me. You've saved us. And you didn't just save us to not have sin. You saved us to walk in the light. You saved us to live, to enjoy life, to enjoy you, to enjoy the world you've made, to enjoy who you are, to glorify you with absolutely every fiber of our being and to make much of your name in absolutely everything we do. So we pray for that. I pray that our celebration of your death, burial, and resurrection would not be isolated to this moment in time, but would would be just part of how we live, that that, that work tomorrow, school tomorrow, kids at the park tomorrow, whatever it might be tomorrow, that it's for your glory and for your namesake and that we'd make much of your holy name with absolutely everything we've got. We love you, Jesus. You've been so loving and gracious and kind to us. Help us just to celebrate who you are and what you've done. And to proclaim your name to the ends of the earth. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ.